Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Because it is here. It is finally here. Those are the words that I almost never, ever say about a regular season MLB game. Except I am right now. I'm saying it, and I'm saying it on April 16th. Big thing going on here in SoCal. It's finally here, and what I mean by it is the opening round of the Dodgers v. Padres, and I could not be more hyped. I can't remember the last time I was this fired up for an April series ever, and having it over this weekend is the best thing ever because it's different now. The rivalry is different now because it is a rivalry now, and it's got the potential to be the start of a great rivalry for years to come. This is the rivalry of 2021 and the future. Like, if you want to come at me with the Red Sox, Yankees, I'm going to say that's played. I mean, honestly, that's played out. It's a great rivalry, of course, but everybody is pretty well sick of it by now. That was your old man's rivalry. We need something fresh. We need something new. Cards? Cards? Or Cards Cubs? Yeah, it's aight. It's aight. It's all right. Solid enough. Same with the Cubs and Brewers. Like, these teams will always hate each other's guts. This, though, is different. This is different because this is Big Brother and Little Brother. And Big Brother Brother has been kicking Little Brother's ass for years. But Little Brother found his way to the gym. Little Brother is loading up on creatine. He's getting bigger. He's getting stronger. He's getting more confident. He's got swagger now. Big Brother sweeps Little Brother in the postseason last year and wins the World Series. But... Little bro goes out and adds two big-time arms to the rotation and signs their star to a massive contract. So now we have ourselves a legitimate rivalry. Legitimacy on both sides. Do you remember what happened in the postseason? There was this amazing moment from Game 2. Remember, L.A. had a one-run lead. They had two outs. San Diego had a man on base. Brewstar Gratterall. Comes out of the bullpen to face Fernando Tatis Jr. Remember what happened then. This is ball to deep center field. Ballinger twisting around. Still going. He's at the wall. He leaps. And he made the catch. Cody Ballinger. A robbery of Tatis. Keeping the Dodgers in front for a three. And he throws the glove and then blows the kiss over to Manny Machado, who didn't like him throwing the glove. And Manny says, you, you. Temper's flaring. Like that moment had absolutely everything. Tatis Jr. hits a bomb. Bellinger makes an amazing play. Gratterall gets fired up and fires his hat towards the moon. Manny Machado wanted a piece of him. It was all so good and so electric. And now you're telling me that we can run that back. 19 times in the regular season, and hopefully a bunch more in the postseason. Hell yes. Big Brother has what Little Brother wants. Big Brother is not looking to give it up without a fister. And we all remember the time that Little Brother ultimately rises up and kicks Big Brother's ass for the first time. We all know what that's like, right? Well, if you have a brother... If you have an older brother, or if you are an older brother. I think Justin Turner said it best. 
He said back in spring training, quote, we're going to get 19 World Series games this year. End of quote. Extremely well said, Red. So why don't we really quickly introduce the fighters in the blue corner with a record of 11 and 2, including six straight wins, the reigning World Series champions with a bling on their hand. Please welcome the LA Dodgers. And over there in the brown corner, hailing from the gas lamp district, they enter tonight with a record of 9 and 5. They're also known as the Friars and Slam Diego. Please welcome the San Diego Padres. Given how last year went and how the postseason went, this would be a great series no matter what, but it's even better now for so many reasons. First off, you've got the fact that the Dodgers have their rotation lined up perfectly. Walker Bueller going tonight. Clayton Kershaw tomorrow. Trevor Bauer on Sunday? Is that any good? Is that a three-man stretch that maybe you might be interested in? And it's not like the Padres are throwing out a bunch of scrubs and ham and eggers either. They've got Ryan Weathers and an ERA of a buck and a half. Then you have you Darvish tomorrow. Then you've got Blake Snell for the finale. And that's not bad. In fact, that's great. That is awesome. That's why they brought in Darvish and Snell for a series like this the one you play in April, and then the ones you play again in October. You've got you Darvish, the former Dodger, pitching against the Dodgers. Darvish and Kershaw, buddies back in 2017, but he said that he has not heard from Kershaw since he arrived in San Diego. I love that, man. Like, Kersh is such a good dude, and he won't even talk to his dude now that he's on the other side. He gets it, though. Quote, the Padres and the Dodgers being rival teams. That's the reason. And then you got Blake Snell, right? Snell, who had the Dodgers under wraps in the elimination game of the World Series until he himself got eliminated. And then always in the middle of all this, you've got Trevor Bauer. Bauer going up against Manny Machado, and that's a matchup that Machado has dominated a batting average of nearly 600 in 17 at-bats, including four home runs. I mean, we're talking about that guy doing that to a Cy Younger. How much does Machado frustrate Bauer? Nine months ago, a video was posted to YouTube with the title, Manny Machado owns Trevor Bauer's fastball. The video itself was 18 minutes long, and the video was posted by Trevor Bauer. And he admitted, Manny, quote, has my number. And we're not done yet. Then you've got Mookie Betts, who ate up Blake Snell. So much in the AL East that Snell thanked the Red Sox when they traded him to L.A. And the matchup gets even better because Fernando Tatis Jr. took BP yesterday. And by all accounts, everything looked great. Which is great, because that means he might be in the lineup tonight, and that'd be awesome. Any day you have Tatis Jr. in the lineup is a good day. And when that day is the opener of a series against the Dodgers, a weekend series, and on the night when the Padres are giving away fryer sticks, man, that's as good as it gets. So what are the stakes? For an April series, they could not be any bigger. This is definitely, definitely important. Like, maybe no such thing as a must-win series in April, but for the Padres, they have to show up. 
It's a must show up for the Padres. They cannot let the Dodgers punch them in the face, roll right through them, and then have LA's taillights only get further away from them in the standings. In other words, you don't want to come out of the weekend five and a half back before April's even over. And if the Padres do show up and they show out and they win that series, it is a big time statement, especially given the fact they're coming back from the East Coast and they're getting Tatis back from injury. If they sweep the series and they do it against the LA's big three, that is a major statement. But if LA goes into San Diego and they win the series, that's a statement too. Statement being, big bro is still kicking your ass. Still bigger, still better, and you still can't touch us. It's going to be good, man. It's going to be so, so good. Dodgers v. Padres. Here's hoping that this fight resembles Ali Frazier and not Tyson v. Spinks. Because this series has not mattered since the 70s. Way back in the 70s when I was interviewing Buddy Black as a middle schooler. Jim, thank you, man. You, you and I go way back to interviews at San Diego State in the late 70s. Man, I'm, you know, I'm pumped for where you are right now. It's always great to catch up, Tom. Buddy Black, legend. What I'm saying to you, and especially what I'm saying to you, if you are south of me, Otay Mesa! Chula Vista! Don't make me drag your ass in here to react to me. Spring Valley, Lemon Grove, Poway, Pacific Beach, Ocean Beach, all the beaches, Tijuana Beach. Get your asses up in here. It may not be for all of the marbles, but it's for a marble. Get in here. Hey, listen, I'm going to home and I'm going to honk my West Coast roots every freaking chance I can. And you know where I'm sitting? I am sitting dead center between L.A. and San Diego. I am right in the middle of that brawl. And it starts this weekend. I know it's big. I know it's big because even Janet Rome hit me with... Dodgers Padres this weekend. Are you looking to grab some protein after a good workout? Of course. Except this time, do it differently. Do not make a shake. Don't eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper instead. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. And it goes with you wherever you go. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality that you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, clones. Ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Oh, Trapper, what's your beef? UCLA head basketball coach Mick Cronin. Just such an amazing season and a challenging season, Mick, from a standpoint of having to deal with pan- the pandemic itself. What have you been up to? Did you allow yourself to unplug a little bit, kind of think back and reflect on that, or did you just jump right back into the fire? You, you know, it's so crazy with the pandemic, Jim, and, and with the basketball. We have it so backwards. We should have a if we were smart as coaches and we, we, we would get the NCA to give us an immediate month off of, but you know, we, we have to go immediately into recruiting. And the problem is when you're in the tournament and you keep winning, obviously it's the goal. Uh, but when you're one of the only four teams left, that means the other 340 are recruiting while you're getting ready for games. 
and you're practicing. So you get behind the eight ball a little bit, you feel like you got to play catch up. So a lot of, a lot of phone calls, but, uh, at least I haven't had to jump on the plane and go recruiting as, as you normally would, Jim, at this time. So yeah, we kind of have it backwards. We don't get a chance to get a break really until May in our sport. I think that's right, actually, Mick Cronin. Not it's right that it's set up like that, but you're right in saying that because the farther you go, the less time you have, and then you're already behind, but the goal is to get as far as you can. See, one of the things, Mick, that really jumped out to me during the tournament was that you were very, very clear from the jump that this is not a team that was overachieving. This was not a team that was a Cinderella. This was not a team just happy to be in the Sweet 16 or even the Final Four because these are the expectations that come with being at UCLA. Why was that a message that was so important to get across to not only the players but literally everybody watching? And, and most of it was meant for our players. Um, you know, we, we had to reach, we had to really reinvent ourselves as the season went on, losing Chris Smith and Jalen Hill. And we lost a few games late, Jim. But and you know, you you cover all sports for a long time, and you, you so you understand like a you see, a team can they give you signs that they're playing well, although they may lose a really tough game to a very good basketball team. And sometimes fans, you know, they only see the result. Uh, where, where, you know, if you cover that team or you follow closely, and obviously you're me, you're the coach of that team, and you're seeing them every day, and you, you can feel the progress, and you, you think you're close. And, and my message was it, it was what it was because I just really believed in my heart if we, could, we got a really terrible break being put in the first four, against, and, then, and then it's Michigan State, uh, you know, Coach Izzo, Mr. March, seven Final Fours, but – I felt in my heart if we could get by that game that we're re- we were really starting to turn the corner as a basketball team and get to another level uh, with no seniors and all the things we had to do to reinvent ourselves. I just I, I, I felt that we were close. And, and then the last part is, you know, you want to give your kids confidence because we do practice under 11 championship banners, and, and we are the UCLA Bruins. And, you know, we have expectations, and that's why – Kids choose UCLA. They choose UCLA because they want to play for championships. So, you know, I tried to make sure my guys had knew that I believed in them. UCLA head basketball coach Mick Cronin. Mick, I'm really fascinated by this notion of reinvention on every level. I know you're not going to say this, but let me say it myself. You had to face a number of challenges. You had one elite recruit go to the G League instead of college basketball. You lost Chris Smith for one month into the season. Jalen Hill stepped away from non-basketball reasons. Any one of these things could have derailed the entire season, but that didn't happen. If anything, it seemed to galvanize the group. And as you said, you had to go through a, a period of reinvention. What did that involve? What was the process? How were you able to reinvent with that plane 30,000 feet up in the air? Well, you know, it's just from a strategic standpoint, we were a smaller team uh, with those losses. So, you know, in basketball, if you're going, if you're going to play small, uh, you have to be able to spread the floor and, and you have to be a, a very good offensive team. And, you know, and the numbers belied themselves. You know, we, we were, I think, at the end, 10th or 11th in offensive efficiency in the nation. And, and we, so you got to use what you have, right, the art of war. You know, so, you know, you're small, but yet you're quick. And in basketball, you can shoot the three. And then we had to really work our way on how we were going to deal with that defensively. And that took some trial and error from myself, my coaching staff on, you know, when you're smaller, do you pack it in, play softer defensively, or do you get more aggressive? 
you know, as we got more aggressive, Jim, it helped our defense. And, and you know that's really what got got much better uh, in the NCAA tournament. You know, being able to hold team the team like Alabama and Michigan. Uh, you know, Alabama when they hit the three only had sixty two points over twenty below their average. You know, we held Michigan to forty nine. So it, we, we we definitely it took us longer to get where we needed to get defensively. But that's the beauty, right, Jim, of college basketball. Unlike football, you know, a couple of losses and you get no chance at the playoffs. You know, that's why college basketball is such a great sport because you, you, you can be a completely different team in March than you were in November. And then, of course, Mick, you did exactly what you want to do, and you can't always set it up like this. The hope is you're playing your best basketball when it matters most, and you were, and you gave Gonzaga absolutely everything they could handle, and then some. It was an all-time great game. When you look back on that, Mick, what are the types of moments that stick out to you the most? Yeah, well, you know, as a coach, man, you've interviewed enough of us before we beat ourselves up over right. the end. You, you know, I, I, where, where uh, I haven't done it that much, though, because, you know, at the end of regulation, we had the ball and we had it in our best offensive player's hands, Johnny Juzang. So if you got the ball and you have it in his hands, you know, I, I, I just, I'm a believer, your best your best thing to do is to not overcoach. You, you, you've already, you know, you, you got the ball in his hands. Uh, he's not being trapped, and he's got time to to get comfortable and try to make a, a, an offensive move to score. Uh, you know, but you're not going to draw anything up better than that. You may end up getting something a lot worse than that. You may not even get it in his hands if, if you call a timeout there. But obviously, we didn't score, so you know, I sit up thinking, man, I should have called the timeout, Jim. I should have called the timeout. So. But, uh, you know, it was, it was just, a, like you said, it was such a great game, and I've watched it back. And You know, the performances, not only of our players, but some of their players, but, you know, in particular our guys, you know, it's just so proud of how they competed and how much better they got as the season went on. And, it, you know, it's exciting to think about next year. You know, Mick, I think about that. When I look back on this past year and I think about your team, they certainly did take on your personality. Like, they are really tough. They've got a ton of grit, a ton of toughness physically, a ton of toughness mentally. But even after Jalen Suggs made that miracle shot, Johnny Juzang got the guys together on the court and said, quote, we're not going to let anybody have their heads down. Everybody is so proud to play with each other, to play for these coaches. It's one thing to buy in. It's one thing to commit and do the dirty work defensively and to get to the glass. But what's it say about the love and the bond that these guys had for one another, and how critical was that? Well, that's the magic right there, Jim. Like you said it, Roman. I mean, that that is the magic. And, you know, in coaching, you know, I've been doing it a long time. You know, I grew up my, a son of a coach. I've been in locker rooms my entire life. You know, when, when you know as a coach when, when your team has captured the magic. Like, like I was being honest with you now. Like, I, we got to a point where it was just – I really was surprised we lost. Now, I know we were a 14-point underdog, which I, it was comical to, to our coaching staff. I mean, we were literally surprised we lost. Not that Gonzaga didn't have a great team. I mean, the Zags were awesome. It was just we, – we had captured the magic. And the guys just – they were going to find a way to win. No matter what they had to do, no matter how many shots uh, we had to make, no matter how many charges we had to take, they were just going to do it. And they, 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 because they, they had the love. Love is the most powerful thing, man. Those guys were on a mission. They, and like you said, you could tell that, I mean, they loved playing with each other. And they captured it, man. And, I, you know, I got stupid, Jim. 
And I woke up the morning of the, after we beat Michigan, and I answered my phone, and it's Bill Strauss and Eric Johnson and Dave Kenny and Dennis O'Neill, and we're buying this two-year-old. You can name him. Well, immediately, you know, I named him. I, I said okay because I was euphoric. You know, paid too much money and named him Bruin Magic. Hey, by the way, that's what are you apologizing for? That's amazing. That's the best thing ever. You know, Mick, and really, <laughs> I knew you'd love that. Oh, let me tell you, I, I, I cannot tell you how much I love that. And maybe you and I are the only ones who understand this, Mick, but really, really quickly, we have a homebred that we've been running. And this is not oh. one that we overpaid for. This is not one that we bought at auction. This was not one of those super pedigreed horses. We own the mare. We have one mare. We breed back to her every single year. And I'm telling you, Mick, I was at Santa Anita about a month ago, and she was running in an allowance race, and she won the race. And I'm not too proud to admit this, dude. When she, and she was back about eight lengths, when she came running and she finished and she run, and she won, it's an allowance race now. This is not a Breeders' Cup race. This is not the Kentucky Derby. This is an allowance race. Dude, <laughs> I mean, I was, near te- I was in tears practically. And you understand this. You understand yeah. this. You know what I mean, right? Yes, all oh, 100%. You know, it's a, you, you know, the thing about horse racing for the people that don't know, it just it, it brings people together. Um like I, I mentioned, you know, I mentioned Bill Strauss who lives down by you. I mean, you know, the guy's wildly successful. Hot Rod Charlie won the Louisiana Derby in his interview. Said it was the greatest thing ever happened in his life. <laughs> you know, it's just the the excitement uh that that, that it brings. Uh it's just that, that that's the beauty of the sport. And, you know, you and I are obviously big, big believers in it. So, hey, hopefully I'll have a little brewing magic this summer at Del Mar. Well, I, there's no doubt. And Bill Strauss, Bill Strauss was partners with us in Misdirection, and they're going to have the Misdirection stakes tomorrow at Santa Anita. He's a huge Ooh. horse guy, so he knows. He knows. So I know exactly what you're talking about. So, Mick, congratulations. Great that you got caught up, man. Nothing would make me happier than to run into you at Del Mar. Hopefully the horses are running at the same time. Let's have one, knock it back and just watch the ponies do what they do. It's the best time ever. We, we'll do it for sure. When I get off that recruiting trail, I'll be there in August. I'll make sure I reach out to you. My buddy. man. Hey, you want to hear something utterly amazing? Discover matches all the cash back that you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. That's where. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. So in horse racing, really quickly, you've got the lower level races. They're allowance races. You have to win to improve. You have to get through conditions. You can't just show up and run in stake races. You need to win the lower races first. And then when you win a race, it moves you to another classification. And then when you win at that level, you move up higher yet again. The goal is to get to the stake races. That's where the real money is. That's where the real glory is. And that's where the potential investment is returned on the backside in breeding. So, There is a race called the Ms. Direction Stakes. It's tomorrow at Santa Anita. And that's an honor. It's an honor for them to name a race after your horse. Now, remember, Ms. Direction is a horse that Janet and I owned in a partnership with, I think, four or five other people. And it is a significant honor to have a race named after your horse. In fact, we've been fortunate enough to have two of them. There's the Ms. Direction Stakes at Santa Anita. 
and there's these shared belief stakes at Del Mar. So really, really quickly, the backstory on Ms. Direction. And it answers the question of why and how I got into horse racing and why I like it so much. Janet once told me, I'm going to say maybe 2005, she said, you know what? You need a hobby. You get, get your ass out of the house. You need a hobby. All you do is grind. All you do is work. So a guy by the name of Billy Koch, who's a Southern California guy, was running a racing syndicate, and he would always try to get me to buy into one of his horses constantly, just up in my grill. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Jimmy, Jimmy, you would love it. You would love it. I'm like, bro, I, I have no interest at all, at all. <laughs> so he comes at me for like the fifth time. And Janet says to me, let's do it. It'll be fun. Let's just buy a piece of a horse. And it'll be a great hobby. We buy a piece of a horse named Wing Forward. Wing Forward runs his first race. He's running dead last. I feel like I'm the biggest chump ever. The easiest mark ever. And then the horse comes out of the clouds to win the race at the wire. And I felt, I had this feeling that I never felt in my life. Ever. Ever. It was like equine crack, equine heroin. The next thing you know, I'm rushing up on Koch, and I'm saying, when does that horse run again? What else can I buy? I was addicted from the jump. It's like walking into a casino in Vegas the first time and winning, and then you can't stop, and you think you got it, and you think it's easy. So then we add a second horse, and the second horse is winning right out of the box, And not only am I having the time of my life, I've convinced myself that I've got a knack for it. I'm good at it. It's not that hard. It's fun as hell. Ah! Then we go like five years without winning. I'm bleeding dough. Bleeding dough. But I'm having the time of my life because I love the animal so much. But we are hemorrhaging money. Janet comes back to me one day and says, how much money have we lost on this anyway? I mean, you're running the money. How much have we lost? I said, a lot. A lot of freaking money. But you were the one who told me to get a hobby. And her response was, yeah, I didn't tell you to get that expensive a hobby. So she's right. So I tell her, here's my plan. One more shot. One more shot. If this hits, we stay in. If we crap out like we have on every other horse, we're out. I swear. I promise. I know about this horse named Ms. Direction that my trainer Mike Pipey had. I asked Pipey about Ms. Direction. Dude, what's up with that big mare? He says, Jim, a number of the owners who bought her early and cheap want to take their money off the table. See how this how this goes. You pay for a horse. If the horse wins a couple of races, their value goes up exponentially. And then the early owners take their money off the table and they sell it to a chump like me who's willing to overpay for the experience. Pipey says to me, we'll make you the majority owner will run in your silks. I said, hell yes. She runs down the hill at Santa Anita one day in a stake race. We had never run in a stake race before. She wins. Once again, I'm off the rails. I'm on this crazy equine crack bender. I'm out of my mind, right? I mean, like dopamine is going crazy in my head. I'm walking to my car that day after the win, and some guy yells out from way above up in the seats, Rome, Rome. You have the new queen of the hill. Freaking goosebumps, man. I got chills. Pipey turns to me and says, and I quote, Jimmy, we have our Breeders' Cup Philly. 
Understand, it was always a pipe dream. We had never even run in a stake race before. The Breeders' Cup arguably is as big as the Kentucky Derby. At least the entire weekend is. It's a grade one race. It's a world championship race. It's a $1 million race. Before, if I could get a ticket to attend the Breeders' Cup, that was great. And now we've got a horse that's good enough to get in. But she got hurt. She missed six months. Pipey puts her back in training, feverishly trying to get her ready for the Breeders' Cup. Now, understand this ask, right? She's been off six months. That's an eternity for a horse. She's never run in a grade one. She's never won a grade two. She's never run against the boys. You don't do that in horse racing in America very often. The morning line opens up at 20 to 1. Man, I'm pissed. 20 to 1 is such a level of disrespect, you can't even imagine. Except, on the other hand, I don't really care because it's just a process. We're going to be in a Breeders' Cup race. Our girl, the love of my life, is going to be in a Breeders' Cup race. It's a dream come true, no matter what happens. So, 20 to 1, the wise guys better down to 6 to 1 because she's a horse for course. What that means is, It's her home field. She knows that track. She trains on that track. She loves that track. She lives at that track. These other horses not only ship in from out of state, they ship in from out of the country. They've never been on that track. So I go to the window and I bet a thousand bucks across, a thousand across the board, a girl to win, a girl to place, a girl to show. The race starts. Remember now, She's running against the best horses in the world. They ship in from out of country, and she hasn't run in six months. Here in California, she was dominant. She's always near the lead. Bam! Knows where the wire is. I'm watching this race develop. She's getting her ass kicked. We're like 10 lengths back in a sprint. Man, it's bad. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating for me. I feel badly for the horse. I turn to my race manager, Alex Solis, who discovered the horse. He bought the horse. Alex grew up on it. He's brilliant. I said, dude, bleep. It's embarrassing, man. She's backing up. And I'll never forget, Alex Solis said to me, no, she's not. She's coming, Jim. Look at her. Keep that in mind as I roll this tape. It's short. Just listen to it. And away they go. Star Spangled Brangan broke away well, but Chosen Miracle now goes on to lead them. Unbridled's note is right there. Misdirection shows early speed, and here's Great Mills in the green. Great Mills kicking through third. Rene's got Zip in the red colors right there, too, and Bridgetown now settles in fifth. The gray California flag passing horses at the rail, then comes Corporate Jungle in behind that tail of a champion. Misdirection's now drop back nine lengths off the leaders, then comes next question. Great attack is racing far back, and Camp Victory is also far, far back here. Camp Victory's got to be a good 14 off them. Last of all is Upgrade. They come down the hill now, and it's Star Spangled Banner in front. Star Spangled Banner just over a length. Great Mills comes to take him on. Rene's got Zip in the red cap. On the outside of that comes Bridgetown Corporate Jungle. Misdirection, hook wide, California fag the grey. They come for home. Star Spangled Banner tries to keep them at bay. Rene's got Zip. Great Mills coming strongly. Great Mills now. Rene's got Zip. Down the outside, here's Unbridles Note. Unbridles Note in the gold cap is coming flying as well in Misdirection. Misdirection, Unbridles Note. Misdirection to win it. And 
at misdirection came storming on to win at misdirection. Unbridles note, Rene's got zip, finished third, and there's a blanket photo for four. You have to notice, Trevor Denman is the best to ever do it, arguably. He didn't even reference her until the end of the race. That's how far back she was. Like, he didn't even see her. And I'm here to tell you, like, I had already was starting to prepare myself midway through the race for the heat I was going to get on social. Rome, your goat, got her ass kicked. You had no business being there. So imagine a horse that you absolutely adore, and she was running that far back, and she was six months off, and she just won a world championship race and came from near dead last to do it and beat the guys, beat the boys. I don't know how much of it was natural euphoria, how much of it was the Bombay Sapphire I had smashed to try to settle my nerves, but I floated all the way down to that winner's circle for the on-air interview with actress, actress Elizabeth Banks, who gave me the trophy, and I'm not kidding. I was high. I was stoned off that moment for months. To this day, outside of the birth of my kids and my wedding, That was the single most surreal day of my entire life. And I don't know what's more shocking, that she won that race or that it's been nearly 10 years since it happened. She then repeated as champ the next year. She went back to back and then she walked it off on that. We sold her at auction right after that second win. So I I just had to relive that and explain to you, this is what I love about that game. One of the truly great experiences of my entire life. So good luck. Good luck. Good luck to everybody running in the misdirection stakes tomorrow. Just know this. None of y'all could have ever touched the one that that race is named after because she was a running mother bleeper and absolutely adored by her fans. Oh, and as far as that $3,000 bet... I walked out of that track that day with 26 grand in my pockets in hundreds in cash. Never mind the purse. The purse was big. I was walking around with 26 gur in my pocket. Straight cash, homie, man. I felt like a boss and I didn't do jack. Needless to say, one of the most amazing days of my life, certainly the most surreal, man. Long live the queen. Love the big mare so much. So I mentioned that because that race named after her is tomorrow at Santa Anita. Good luck with that. When we come back, the only guy who likes that as much as me is the big head himself. He loves the ponies. He loves the ponies. I haven't seen Ms. Direction since we sold her once. We went to France, and that's where she was living. Somebody bought her for an exorbitant amount of money, and they breed back to her. That's part of the game. So one summer, I think in 2015... We were in France, and we saw her, and that was an amazing reunion. Rondell Moore is my guest. Rondell, great to have you on. How are you? I'm great, man. I appreciate you having me. How are you? I'm really good. I appreciate you coming on. Listen, there are a few things I want to talk to you about, but I want to start first with the fact that you've said that your approach to college was all business. You told NFL.com, and I quote, I set a clear path of what I wanted to do and surrounded myself with people who could help me obtain those goals, end of quote. To me, that's an extremely mature mindset. How were you able to develop that at such an early age? Yeah, I think a lot of it just comes from, like I said, who I've surrounded myself about uh, with and how they went about, you know, just everyday life and living. So 
Um, I just tried to stay consistent with the people I've hung around and, and made sure they've, you know, crossed their T's and dotted their I's and uh, things like that. So, you know, I'm really diligent in how I go about every day. Dude, extremely businesslike. So if we're talking about all business, what has the draft evaluation and draft preparation process been like when it comes to business? In other words, how have you applied that business approach to the draft process? Yeah, I've pretty much tried to uh, get someone to meal prep for me. I've uh, figured out a way to get treatment. I'm working out three times a day, um, getting the proper rest, putting the right things in my body. So all that kind of stuff. And then obviously just staying on top of my interviews and, and making sure I'm sharp when it comes to um, talking about coverages and talking about my offense and, and just um, all that kind of stuff. You are all business. Rondell Moore joining us, and I mean that in the best way. Now, for those who didn't see your pro day, you put on a show. You had a vert of 42 and a half inches. You had an unofficial 4.2940. How pleased were you with the performance that you turned in that day? I mean, yeah, I definitely can't complain, and I'm blessed by all measures. But, um, you know, I had tested a little better than that um, down in Texas where I was training. So not going to say I was disappointed, but I uh, definitely could have done better. Thing is, those numbers did not just come out of nowhere. For instance, when you were a freshman at Purdue – you squatted 600, which is more than triple your body weight. You were hitting 530 in high school. You've been working with Chris Vaughn as your trainer for a number of years. Where did that love of the grind, the hard work, the weight room, where did that come from? Was that always there? Honestly, probably when I, like when I actually decided I was just going to play football, and that was my junior year um, of high school. I actually played basketball my, up until my sophomore year. Uh, when I decided to put the basketball down, man, it was it was time to step on the gas and go full throttle. So I'd say I kind of developed some of those habits my junior year and realized, like, if I want to make this a career, then I've got to, you know, be a little different than everyone else and bring something different to the table. So, uh, so I decided I had to work a little harder. Rondell Moore, my guest. So what was different? If you if you knew that you wanted to separate or create separation or bring something different to the table, exactly what was different? Man, I think, honestly, for me, not being the tallest, I had to compensate somewhere else, and that meant being the strongest guy on the field. Um, and I know a lot of this you can't control as far as speed, but uh, you can continue to build on it, and twitch, I think, is something you can progress on as well. So just being fast and twitchy um, and, and being the most intelligent out there, man, regardless of what's going on, playing fast and, and doing your job and having minimal mistakes, I think, is uh, something we call um, takes no talent. So... Uh, for me, it was just trying to do all those little things. And when it was time to show my talent, it would be there. But I think the hard work shows up first. I love that take that you can improve Twitch. How do you improve Twitch? I mean, it really just getting around someone who understands it and uh, doing exercises that enable you to do so. Uh, whether that, so every, like, if you want to get faster, you got to go run fast. If you want to get stronger, you've got to go lift heavy. So I think for me, if you want to get twitchy, I think it's important to implement some of those exercises in your workout. This is really fascinating. And you just said that part of it is size. Like, I'm not the biggest guy. So you bring up size. Like, when you were being recruited and Jamarcus Shepard, Purdue's wide receiver coach, asked you, how big are you really? Your answer, I thought, was perfect. You said, quote, how big is fast? Shepard had no response to that, but he knew that you wanted to be on the team more than anything else. What's your reaction then when people worry about your height or ask you about your height? I mean, I don't, I don't. I mean, at this point in my career, I don't really get too concerned about it because I think you gave a perfect rundown of, you know, what I've had the pleasure of accomplishing through my college career, man. So, I mean, up until this point, it hasn't um, been a deciding factor in how I go out there and play the game. So, for me, I think it's just important to continue to stay true to myself and 
what I've been doing and, and stay around the people who've helped me get here. I get it. I'm not looking to belabor the point, but I just, I love the way you react to it. You had another great quote for NFL.com. Quote, when people ask the height question for me, it's like, you have the film. You can see what I can do. If it scares you that much, then cool. Pass on me. I mean, I think that's great. So, but when this comes up, are you looking to prove people wrong or are you looking to prove people right? Yeah, it's, it's, for me, it's all about the other end of the spectrum. I don't really care about what he says or she says. I, I saw a, a quote um, probably about two years ago, honestly, and it was uh, basically along the lines of, um, I don't really get caught up in, in what people say good about me or bad, so neither one can affect you know how I go about my life or um, I guess my mood. So with me, it's just staying close to everyone who's been a part of it and, and listening to you know everyone who's helped because I don't really get too concerned about the, the outside noise. I think that's interesting too because it's so much about the numbers and the analytics and the metrics and the things you can measure, but you just talked about mood. So when we talk about mood, we're talking about mindset. How hard do you work on the mental game, mood, mindset, and what's your process for developing that imp- and improving in that area? Yeah, I think that's where I've grown the most as a player, honestly, and that what I mean by that is just not getting too high, not getting too low, um, regardless of the circumstance. I think everyone's going to go through adversity. I mean, you saw it this year with, with the uh, COVID and, you know, the opt-outs and the conference-only schedule and things of that sort, man, and you work so hard in the off season, um, and, you know, anything, anything can happen. So uh, it's just more so going out there and trying to stay even kill. So what was that? I mean, was that frustrating? Was that trying? Was that did that kind of get in your head or under your skin? What about the pandemic and how you approached that? What was that like for you personally? I mean, yeah, of course, I think it's frustrating. But you know, as a leader, um, it's important to to not show it. Uh, another quote: "Never let them see you sweat." So I think as a leader, if, if you got eyes on you, you got to understand like you got to pull through it and continue to work and continue to grind um, and continue to touch someone else around you so the team can be better. So. Um, for myself personally, I couldn't show it. It was simply just going out there playing and making the most of every opportunity you get. Rondell Moore joining us for a few more moments. You know, it's one thing to say, all right, this is what I want to do, and I'm willing to make the commitment, and I'm all business. But it was not just only football exclusively. You were also all business when it came to the classroom in college. You graduated in two and a half years, and we're now less than two weeks away from the draft. Academically, why was it so important to hit that that hard? Man, first one in my family, and I think that goes a long way, especially off of the football field, just to show, uh, one, I have a nephew, I have some little cousins, and you know, people who grew up in my same situation with similar backgrounds, man, it is possible with uh, faith and hard work, so uh, just to show that there is a way. Is it me, or is it really important to you, like, you want to be that guy? You want to be that guy where friends, family, maybe people who do not know you look to you. Like, you've got broad shoulders, man. This is the way it's done. I want to lead from the front. I can be an inspiration. Are you looking to impact people like that? Yeah, no doubt. I think, you know, uh, in my opinion, I think my purpose on this earth, man, is, is to lead, like you said, whether that be breaking generational curses or showing everyone that it is possible. I mean, on paper, I think the odds are stacked against me, but if I listen to odds, I wouldn't be here today. So uh, just to piggyback off what you said earlier, man, I don't get too caught up in size or any of that kind of stuff. I've got stuff that you can't measure. And for me, that's that's heart, uh, my support system, my faith, and then hard work. Stuff that I can't measure. I love that too. There is certain intangible things that you simply cannot measure. What about your mom? I know your mom has been a huge source of inspiration for you. What have you learned from watching her work as hard as she's had to work to provide for you, your two brothers, and your sister? Yeah, hard work, and I, I developed that early. 
and I didn't actually know. I mean, I, I listed a number uh, in an interview of what she made, and I actually didn't know until I got to college, and I filled out FAFSA. So for me, it was, like, crazy because I'm like, yo, I never knew, you know what I mean? Um, and through the midst of her struggling and going through all that, uh, not once did she show it, not once did she complain. You know, she just got it done and made sure uh, we had everything we needed. So I think hard work is the, the most important lesson I learned from her. Not only that, but before I let you go, I think the thing also is humility, right? You've said that growing up, quote, I remember being a kid and going to Louisville basketball games and seeing how Terry Rozier, Edgar Sosa, and Montrez Harrell dealt with it. They were superstars. But in other words, they carried themselves a certain way. Like, what did you learn from watching them? And then how did you approach becoming a star and being recognized once that started to happen? Yeah, like I, like you said, man, I remember going to Louisville games and, and staying after for hours just to get an autograph or a picture because to me those guys were superstars. So I know exactly what it feels like to be a kid um, and, and be in that position. So for me, it's nothing to stay after and sign autographs or take a picture or a conversation or just doing whatever I can, you know, to give back and touch someone else because I'm, I'm in a, a great position, uh, I think, man, and I'm blessed. And I think it's important to go be a solid earth and, and basically just – um, show someone else what it's like uh, to kind of experience these type of moments. Salt of the earth. One last thought I want to ask you about. In your first game as a freshman, you had 300 all-purpose yards at halftime. You broke the school record by the end of the day. Then there was the Ohio State game where you had 194 yards from scrimmage and two TDs in a blowout win over the then number two team in the country. After the win, though, over Ohio State, you called your receivers coach at 3 o'clock in the morning. Now, you get a call at 3 o'clock in the morning, you're going to think something's really wrong. But the fact is, you were reviewing film, you saw a missed block, and you wanted to talk about it. Why was that something that you were locked in on after beating the number two team in the country and locked in at 3 o'clock in the morning? Yeah, I don't really get too caught up in, in what I did good, I think. The important message here is is trying to elevate in every position possible. So I think if I can make myself better um, and I can clean up on some of those MAs or missed assignments, I think we're better as a whole and as a team. Uh, and I think that goes a long way as far as winning games. So, but I just wanted to check in with Shep. And we had a late game that night. That's the reason why I was up. I watched every game after, um, whether we're on the plane or I'm at home. But um, for me, man, it was just trying to clean up on some stuff that I know um, I didn't do the best on. And, I mean, from the outside looking in, probably little stuff you wouldn't notice. But, um, you know, it kind of bothered me. And I think that just comes with being a perfectionist and, and wanting to be better. You know what I mean? All right, so when you're not working on your craft, when you're not all about the process, when you're not taking care of your business, if you give yourself a little bit of free time, what are you into? What are you doing? Simple for me, man. I'm, I don't get I don't get into too much. I really just play uh, 2K or so I'll play the park with my friends or um, some guys I know, and I'll play Call of Duty Warzone specifically where I'm hanging out with family. I don't really do too much, man. I like it. I like it so much. He's a former Purdue wide receiver, an All-American, an academic All-Big Ten, a first-team All-Big Ten. I ran down all those numbers. A Paul Horning Award winner, and the draft is coming up on April 29th. Rondell Moore, my guest. Rondell, honestly, could not be more impressed with that conversation. Good luck on draft day, and I will really look forward to catching up with you once again once you find your team. No doubt, man. I appreciate you having me. God bless. He is back for more today. Head, normally I ask you how you're living, but let me first ask you, because you love horse racing, did you get some chills hearing the audio of the big mare from back in 2012? Dude, you got me pumped up, man. Great tribute, too. Gosh. That 20 to 1 odds, though, the clones didn't help you on that. You would have had a lot more paper had they not bet that thing down. You know, exactly. I wonder what that was. I wonder how much of that was the clones and how much of that was the wise guys. 
Both for sure. I mean, they knew she was for that course, but the clones had a massive impact because I remember it going from twenty to one and closing fast. Yeah, they knew that that mm-hmm. twenty to one was great, but I we knew better than to think that she was going to go off twenty to one. She wasn't. She had had Absolutely. too much success there. But thanks for sharing that. Let's start head and everybody listening. Get your pen out. Write this down. Starting with the association, the Jazz have been the best team in the league for much of the year. I know you love them. They're good. They're damn good on both ends of the floor. Now, I know, I know, people want to see Utah do it in the postseason. That's fair, but I'm not concerned about that right now. I'm concerned about how they're going to do against the Pacers tonight, a Pacers team that's actually playing good ball right now. I know you love the Jazz, Head, but do you love them enough to lay the 10 if you want to hit them tonight? I do, Jim. Now, the Jazz aren't as hot as against the spread as they were earlier this season, but they still are the best cover at home this year, hitting 71% of their games. And the Pacers are actually the second-worst cover of everyone this season, covering only 36% of their games. They also can't hit the O-glass. They're the worst team in the NBA at that, and the Jazz are the best rebounding team. That should favor kindly. Also, the Jazz should be getting some of that scoring punch back from injury. I'm rolling with the Jazz. It's an early start at 12 Pacific Standard Time, which has me a little concerned, but I'm going Utah minus 10. I think that is one of your best arguments to date. You lay that out beautifully. Hey, don't you think it's cool when teams rest star players in primetime games? (laughs) You like that, don't you? Oh, it's my favorite thing. Just like the other night when Kevin Durant didn't play. It's embarrassing. You felt pretty good about that, right? Oh, dude. You you thought that was good. You're like, yeah, I'm in favor of load management. They should rest this guy. Every freaking primetime game. Just saying. Yeah, and I'm also just saying every freaking time it happens, my phone starts blowing up and I know who it is. All right. Also, I know you're looking at Memphis v. Chicago tonight. A couple of pretty average teams. Actually, that's not fair. Memphis is average and fighting for their playoff lives. The Bulls aren't going anywhere. They're not average, and they just lost Zach Levine. What do you like about that game anyway? What is the spread? Who you got? The spread is Memphis minus four, and I'll take that from Memphis. The Grizzlies play better away from home, and the Bulls are seven games under 500 at home. Memphis also plays at a very high pace, and without Levine out there for the Bulls, I don't like. I don't think they could keep up with the scoring. Memphis is great, also as an away favorite and against non-conference opponents. V the spread, and that's what this is, Jim. The Bulls have lost four straight. Let's see if Memphis could bounce back from that Luka shot and cover the four here. I think they will. I like Memphis. All right, so so far we've got the Jazz minus ten, Memphis minus four. I'm not looking for you to rush or force it. But I am waiting for you to call somebody or something ass like you do in every segment. So don't force it. But I'll if it's get there, there, I'll get there. Okay. Knicks v. Dallas. Now, normally when we talk about the Knicks, well, we say they're ass. We talk about what an embarrassment they are to the league. We talk about what an embarrassment their owner is to all mankind. Except something changed, right? Not only are they not giving us any reason to crack them, they're actually earning positive run. They're not bad. They're not bad at all. They've won four in a row. They're playing their best ball when it matters most. And on top of that, you can actually get five points with the Knicks against Dallas tonight if you want them. The question is, do you want the Knicks and the points? I do. Thibs is the man. He's what has changed there. He should be on the short list of coach of the year for the job he's done with this team. 
He has the Knicks as the best statistical defense in the NBA right now. The pace of play should benefit New York tonight as well. They play slow, and so does Dallas. The Mavs are 6-11 and as the home favorite this season, Jim. Mm. Let's go Knicks and take that 5.5 now. It was 5, now it's moved to 5.5 plus 5.5 Knicks. The hell kind of world is this? We're betting the Knicks. Yeah, I know. Fibs. All fibs. I like it. Five and a half is a good number. All right, now, Head, why don't you give the people what they really want? I didn't know this is what they want, but I do now. What they really want is NHL action. NHL. Do you mm-hmm. see anything you like? I do. The clones love hockey, and I'm heading back to that avalanche well I hit last week, Jim. Now, all season, Colorado hadn't been good against the puck line. But their last 10 games, they've been the best in the NHL. They are now 9-1 in covering that 1.5. They are also 7-0 and their past seven Friday games. Colorado is home. They have the best offense in the NHL, and the Kings are ass, frankly, Jim. So let's go abs minus 1.5. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. The Kings are ass. Yeah, but, dude, that's that Denver bias of yours kicking in, right? And you're not a guy. You're not, dude, you are not a guy who bets with emotion. You're always with that big head. Are you sure that's not what this is right here? Emotion. A little bit to the abs, and you might see it in the next thing. So, I don't know. Okay, the next thing. The next thing is the big thing. The next thing is the most intriguing thing of the weekend. Yes, I said it. The most intriguing matchup in the weekend. And I can't believe I said it, but I did say it. And I actually believe it. I'm into it. Former Olympian, UFCer, an all-around badass. Ben Askren is fighting YouTube star Jake Paul. And I'm actually all about this. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, it's a bleeping circus. But who doesn't like the circus? Man, I'm going to have my popcorn ready. The only thing crazier, Head, than an MMAer, a great MMAer, fighting a YouTuber is that the YouTuber is favored. Now, before I get your pick on this, I want to reset what Askren said about the fight on the Jim Rome podcast earlier this week because, I don't know if you heard this or not, it may impact which way you lead. Listen to this. The result for me is kind of whatever. I get paid the same amount no matter what. I don't intend to be a boxer. So whether I win or lose, my life looks kind of the same. I'm going to go in there and fight really hard. And if he's not all that good, I'm probably going to beat him. And if he's really, really good, I might take an ass whooping. So that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. But at the end, I'm not a boxer, right? I, I never have been. So it's like, it's not like you're saying, hey, I'm doing mixed martial arts or hey, I'm doing wrestling, something that I would have a lot of pride in because of the amount of effort and amount of time I've spent on those things, which is like, you know, a decade on one and about 15 years on the other. I've, bought, I've been boxing for 11 weeks. So there has to be a recognition of what skill level you are. Now, we don't know where Jake's at. So like I said, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to fight hard. And if he's not that good, which that's probably where I'd guess, right? I'd probably guess, hey, this guy's not very good. If he's not that good, I'm going to kick his ass. Man, if he's a really good boxer, I'm going to have a long night probably. (laughs) This guy's tremendous. I mean, I love it. I get it. I love it. And I understand why he took that fight. But that answer right there, Head, is not inspiring a hell of a lot of confidence, is it? I mean, I'm going to tell you straight up. I'm rooting like hell for Askren. I want him to win badly. And so do a hell of a lot of other people who hate Jake Paul's guts. The problem is, if I'm betting with my head and not my heart, I can't believe I'm going to say this. And I love Askren. I might take the YouTuber Mm. because of the way the thing is set up. Who you got? Dude, this hurts. This hurts bad. But Ben uh, seems to have changed his tune quite a bit. He's one of my favorite fighters 
athletes of all time. I love him. He was a great wrestler at Missouri. I followed him the entire time. But, Jim, his MMA game, and this is a weird compliment for him, okay? It's very 1990s, as in one-dimensional grappling. Takedown or else, and it's a testament to how good he was during this time. But boxing, no. That's not Ben's world. And the YouTube dude, he's actually good for a YouTube dude. I'm not going to call him a boxer quite yet. But Ben can outstrike Damian Maya, dude. So now he's better than Nate Robinson. But this hurts, dude. With everything I've got, I've got to take Jake Paul minus 160. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. Did oh. you say minus 160? That's the line I got for Jake right now. Yeah. Wow. So mm -hmm. you need to bet 160 bucks to make 100 back, and you're taking the YouTuber. And the thing is, what really aggravates me, I can't talk you off that point. I can't say, <laughs> hey, Head, are you kidding? We're talking about an Olympian. We're talking about one of the greatest grapplers and wrestlers ever. We're talking about a guy who's been in with trained killers. We're talking about a guy uh -huh. who's tough, competitive. All these oh. things, all true. And I think I can make an argument as good or better an argument for the YouTuber. What the hell kind of world is this now? Dude, it's simple, right? It's a boxing match. In right. a fist fight, 100 times out of 100 times, Ben Askren wins this fight easily. A lot of people don't know this. A lot of people that follow Paul don't know this, but he would he would win that fight 100 times out of 100 times. But it's boxing. That's not what Ben does, man. Uh, not only would he win that fight 100 out of 100 times if they had MMA rules, but he'd win that fight 100 times out of 100 times in a minute or less. Yeah, about that time, too. Now, Darren Till, who's also a fighter for the UFC, he tweeted at Ben saying, dump him on his head, double leg him, dump him on his head, and then we'll all throw in some money for you to pay off this thing. So Ben's tempting to yeah, do you know that. What, you know what's but. not clear? Do you know the answer to this? What if Ben does that? I mean, ben, Ben's a class guy, and I don't think Ben's going to lose his mind. But what if Ben all of a sudden, and when I had Michael Chandler on, remember he was talking about dirty boxing. Like, the one thing about Ben, he doesn't strike well, but he knows how to maneuver a guy. He knows how to get in tight. He knows how to get into a guy and kind of dirty it up a little bit. What if Ben snapped? What if Ben all of a sudden started kneeing him and losing? and throwing elbows like like the way Mike snapped when he bit Evander's ear off I'm not saying that Ben's gonna bite but do we even know the rule if he violates the rules of the boxing match I wonder do they withhold the money what happens do you Dude, know that it's got to be the money thing they they know that and I, he is going to rough him up elbow him push him hug him do everything he possibly can but if he put him on his head he, he would lose all of his money, I'm sure that. Jake Jake probably put that in the contract. He's scared to death deep down of what this guy could actually do to him. But it would be the greatest highlight of all time. It would be like Nate Robinson just back the other way. You know, it would be like, it'd be like even better than Masvidal taking Ben out with that knee. But you know what the thing is? <laughs> I think, honestly, I think that Ben is more afraid of losing that fat paycheck than he is of losing the fight. Like, I don't think he's going to snap. The money is more important to him so, than the look. So much money. So much money. Ben's going to make so much money on Saturday night. Like he said, regardless of the whole thing, he's not going to do it, but I wish he freaking would. I know, right? You and a lot of other people. All right, so mm -hmm. run it down really quickly. I know you'll put it up on Twitter, and then I'll retweet it. Who are your picks? What are your picks for the weekend? Jazz minus 10, Memphis minus 4, Knicks plus 5.5, Avs minus 1.5, and, and uh, Jake Paul minus 160. Ugh. And just so we're clear on this, dude, I want to make sure that they know you're not playing with fake money. This is actual big head dollars coming out of your account. Like the things that you're advising us on, these are not hypothetical plays. You're hitting it with real money. If I lose, 
If they lose, I lose. If they win, I win. I put it always down on my stuff. That's what I'm saying. All right, Big Head, good job. James Kelly, Big Head Bets. Have a great weekend, man. What's up, Big? What's up, Pam? Talk to me. Hey, Romy, I see where Paul Tagley Welcome to the jungle. What's going on? My name is Jim Rome. I'm live. I'm in Southern California. So how was your weekend? What did you get into? Is your day off to a good start? Is your week off to a good start? We start with Hideki Matsuyama. Matsuyama is Japan's... Your master's champ. The pressure gets to everybody. It just did not get to him nearly as much. That was cold as hell. That was brass as hell. That was cool as hell. Loved it. I gotta be honest with you all. Masters was a freaking bloodbath. I ran through my entire 2021 bankroll this weekend on the Masters. Alan Shipnook. I've sneaked into the cabin a few times, which actually got banned from the Masters in 2013. That's a story for another day. But No, it's not, dude. That's a story for any day, including this day. I did a fake flush and I opened the door, but the general manager of Augusta National was standing there and he was pissed. Seemed to need some JC in his life. Hey, yo, BJ. Jesus Christ. Cody Zeller, offensive rebound. Bridges! I mean, my man just loves engineering. Bridges! Hey, yo, announcer dude. What is the best way to cross a body of water? Bridges! What is your favorite family of actors? Bridges! Lloyd, Jeff, Bo, Mike Woodson. I have the utmost respect for Larry Brown. Larry I mean, he's putting me in a position to really be a great coach, Larry Brown. Larry I mean, I'm thinking for that. As Steph Curry Will Chamberlain. I said Steph Curry broke Will the Stilts scoring line. What a milestone. <laughs> you can all go Beavis and Butthead with it. Get it all out, morons. Martin Truex Jr. joining us. He called it a, quote, show. Is that how it felt to you? I'll be honest with you. I mean, I think a lot of races kind of go this way. It was a hard decision. I'm not talking junk about Julian Edelman. Jules? Yeah, In fact, he... I, I don't know how I could be any more clear about how much I respect this guy. The guy showed up really big in really big games. Patriot Hall of Bridges! Bridges! Regards, Brian Weber storming the ice cream coolers at his local grocer. Scrivens! Andy Staples joining us. There's a fine line between you're a genius and we're putting for sale signs in your yard. Looking for successful astronauts. Have you been to the moon? We're looking for an intern. Can you split the atom? We're looking for an intern. Have you found a cure for cancer? We're looking for an intern. Rocket engineer. Poyer. I'm human as well, and I make mistakes, and if I'm able to overcome that alcohol, because I was, I mean, it was bad, man. The way I was using it. If I was able to overcome it, so can you. And so I was just trying to help people, man. Talking to Chris Beard. If there's anything wrong with McDonald's, I don't know about it. <laughs> and anybody that tells you they don't like an Egg McMuffin is not telling you the truth. I mean, who doesn't like an Egg McMuffin? I feel strongly about that. I don't care what neighborhood you're from, what age bracket you're in. If you're not down with the Egg McMuffin, you're not a truth teller. Baseball player, Alex Rodriguez. Who is he? I don't know. Edwards is a star on and off the floor, even if he has no idea who A-Rod is. Great cleanup on aisle three. That's a great public service, vanishing that subpar grill. Gloss you, mahogany mat. You can Google search these nuts, homie. Google search these nuts? Is that why you ran him? Mike Daniels. Tim, that intro, man. Once again, thank you. That Guinness World Record was actually broke by a young lady. I said you set the world record. That's, it, that's still very true, very true, very true. I'm extremely excited to get ready to get back to kicking some butt on the field. I set the record on that. <laughs> <laughs> Here are your beefs. Candles that cost 10 bucks. My beefs with AT&T's crappy service getting me ran off the Jim Rome show. 
making me look like the mark. I want a tomato. Hang up and text, bruh. I got beef with my wife. Wipe the knife off, Ken. I'm going to beat you up. Wait till I see you next time. It's like, eh. You already f knocked me out. Like, it can't really get much worse than that. Landon Dickerson. Sometimes you may be in a lift group where you're the strongest guy. Well, you know, go find somebody else who's stronger than you. Push yourself to be stronger than them and just keep growing, keep getting better. That's not something to make light of, Rit. It's not funny. The fact that you have diabetes. Come on, man. Diabetes. <laughs> when you're leaving the bathroom, you are showered with residual fecal particulate. Ah. James Conner joining us. When I'm healthy, I'm productive as they come, and so I'm just going to keep putting my best foot forward, keep getting my body ready, and to let God take care of the rest. Old time Mesa! Chula Vista! Don't make me drag your ass in here to react to me. It may not be for all of the marbles, but it's for a marble. Mick Cronin. Like you said it, Roman. I mean, that is the magic. That's the beauty of the sport, and, you know, you and I are obviously big believers in it, so hey, hopefully I'll have a little brewing magic this summer at Del Mar. He's better than Nate Robinson, but this hurts, dude. With everything I've got, I've got to take Jake Paul minus 160. <laughs> I walked out of that track that day with 26 grand in my pockets in cash. Straight cash, homie. Straight cash, homie, man. I felt like a boss. Boy, I got some bad news. We're not going to Disneyland today. We're going out to Hollywood Park. How come they don't just stop the game? What's up, man? Bridges! Yeah. I'm ready to rock. Queezing all. Do be sure that Mr. Nicholson has presented the wine bill tonight. All right, I appreciate it. Yeah, we'll stay in touch. Yes, sir. Thank you, brother. What you doing, guys? I gotta go, Jim. Sex tape. Kiss Aaron's ass. I'm gonna text message you a picture of my next Eggman muffin. Misdirection. Good morning, or good afternoon, or good night now. Good night now.